Welcome back to our current series, um, Masterclass. We've been dealing with relationships over the last several weeks. I want to share a story with you. There was this little girl. Uh, she was hanging out with her grandma, and, and she asked her grandma a question. She said, how old are you? And grandma said, oh, sweetie, you never ask a lady how old she is. And the little girl said, well, I know you were born in 1952. A little while later, the little girl said, well, Grandma, how much do you weigh? Oh, baby, listen to me. You never ask a lady how much she weighs. <laughs> well, Grandma, I know that you weigh 142 pounds. And by this time, she really got her grandma's attention, and she's like, where are you getting all this information? And the little girl said, well, I found your driver's license. <laughs> and by the way, you made an F in sex. <laughs> yeah. Very good, right? <laughs> We've been talking about relationships lately, and today we're going to talk about sex. I know it may, may make some of you feel uncomfortable. It's, it's always uncomfortable for me to preach or teach on the topic of sex, but I've, I'm getting better. <laughs> Ten years ago, I'd be, my leg would be shaking and I'd be sweating profusely, and um, but I've gotten better at talking about sex in church because that's where it should be talked about. Amen? Our society today, if it could be graded, would be graded an F on sex. Amen? I'll go as far as to say if the church was graded on the topic of sex, it would score an F also. Because I don't know if you grew up like I did, but we were told what not to do. And never told the why. We were told you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't look at this, you can't look at that. We were given what we couldn't do, which was good, but we weren't given the why behind it, so all it did was stir up a curiosity. Because if you give instructions without understanding, you just stir up a curiosity in people. Amen? Amen? So today we, we're going to talk about sex. I'm not going to make it any more uncomfortable than it may need to be for you. <clears throat> but it needs to be talked about. One out of four Google searches are sexual in nature today. 50% of all high school students will have a sexual interaction before graduating from high school. 50%. One in five teenage girls say that they have semi-nude photos of themselves online. 91% of sex scenes you see in movies are not between two married couples or two married people. In the U.S., pornography revenues are $13 billion. That's more than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB combined. Think we got a problem? We got a major problem. We got a major problem that needs to be addressed now. So sexual immorality is rampant. It's rampant in pastors, politicians, athletes, you name it, it's rampant. So we did a survey for this series, and so responding to how you respond, we asked singles, how would you rate your sexual purity? 48% said amazing and good, meaning that they're pretty pure. 52% said fair to poor. With married couples, we ask, how do you rate your sexual life? 
52% said amazing and good. 48% said fair to poor. This is our church that responded to the survey. This is not some foreign or national statistic. This is a local statistic. This is where we are. So today, I want to talk about sex. And I want to talk about it in a way that's going to give God glory, and it's going to make the devil look dumb. Is that all right? So Satan, for too long, has, has deemed himself the sex ed teacher of the world. And because of what he spews through lyrics, through movies, through teachings, through education today even... The world has gotten perverted, twisted, confused. We can't even have a Mr. Potato Head anymore. Lord Jesus, help us. Potato Head. Thank you. Confused and perverted and twisted. Jesus said in John 8, he said, when he lies, speaking of the devil, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies. It also calls him the prince, the prince of darkness, not just meaning that he's evil, right? But meaning that he's a deceiver, and if we're not careful, when found in darkness, we may find ourselves ignorant. Unaware. In any place that we're unaware and we find ourselves in ignorance, the enemy gains a foothold on us. In that same chapter in verse 32, Jesus also said this, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. Right? The truth will set you free. So here's the problem we have with the church as a whole. The church has withheld the truth. To the, to the next generation. For generations, they've been doing that. We've been holding back the truth that has the ability to set us free. Amen? Thinking that for some reason, if we expose this truth about sexuality, that it's going to do more damage than if we hold it. So instead, we resorted to a type of legalism where we say to our younger generation, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. All you're doing is stirring up a curiosity in them to go and find out why. Because everybody really wants to know why. I don't know if we need much more sex education as much as we need more truth to be spoken. So I want to give you three things today that I believe God is saying to us about sex. This is three. We'll get, we'll get to some more later in another topic or in another message. But I believe these three things is what he wants to say to us today about sex. Number one, God will say to us that sex is good. And no amens. God! Come on! Sex is good, y'all! Now, the fact that I'm going to have to convince you that sex is good reveals a problem. 
Sex is good within the confines of marriage. Amen? Amen? Amen. Oh, okay. (laughs) I thought that was a gimme. My bad. Got to be Pacific, not Atlantic. Okay. Proverbs 5, 15 to 18. Listen to what the Bible says. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. It's a good thing. No matter how much the enemy tries to pervert it and twist it and and cause us to misunderstand it, it's still good. I like it. Just... Throw that out there. I'm the pastor. I like it. Within the confines of marriage. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> Here's a news flash for you. Sex was never intended to be X-rated. Sex is God created. Satan didn't come up with sex on his own. God created sex. And it is a godly thing meant for a godly purpose because God doesn't create anything for nothing. Amen? Whatever he creates and he bestows upon us and he gives to us is for our good. Amen? So it's not X-rated. It's not what the world says it is today. It's not even what it might look like when you look outside of your marriage. That's not what sex is intended to be. It was one of the first gifts that God gave to Adam and Eve to be enjoyed. It's not just for procreation, it's for enjoyment. And it has many other purposes that I want to talk about today. I believe Adam liked it. I'll prove it to you in Scripture. Adam Adam liked it. Adam was excited and he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Imagine the torture of watching all of creation enjoying it, but you can't. So that tells me that God's not mean, right? (laughs) That he loves us. He cares about us. From the survey, we asked the question, how often do you have sex? 52% of the people reported one to three times a week. I would say that's good. I would use that as a minimum if possible. No, yeah, just 27% of of, of people reported every couple of weeks. 7% said once a month. What? 13% said I couldn't tell you the last time. Oh, dear Jesus. And you didn't die? (laughs) Now, in the survey, we asked, is your sex life what you'd like it to be? Less than half said yes. Over half said no. 
which begs the question, why? Why? Single people better not be reporting. <laughs> Just saying. That's not my words. That's God's words. So watch this. Your sex life says a lot about the health of your marriage. Your sex life tells the story. Are you communicating? Are you connecting emotionally? Are you for one another? Are you willing to fight a good fight in this relationship? Like if there's differences between us, are you willing to fight for understanding and fight to settle differences or grievances or hurt or pain? Your sex life says a lot about the health of your relationship. In counseling, a lot of times we get to the point where we go, okay, so how is your sex life? And sometimes you get the answers that go, that's a problem. The lack of sex is a problem, but it's not the problem. The problem is deeper rooted. It means this, that just somewhere along the way, something happened and you decided to withhold this good gift that God gave you from your spouse in order to defend yourself, in order to protect yourself, in order to manipulate them, in order to hurt them in return. Come on, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. You, 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 if you're not careful, you'll, you'll withhold from one another because there's something there. There's a problem. Sometimes there's different seasons that we go through, right? Can we be honest about that? You lose a, a very close loved one, sometimes that... that, that makes things complicated. Uh, you can go through a season of stress, extreme stress. That can cause you to withhold from one another. Sometimes it's hurt or pain or past hurts and pains that will keep you or prevent you from connecting with one another, right? Sometimes there's seasons. Sometimes there's physical illness that will keep you from that. And when there is, that's when we should extend each other grace because how, how crazy is it to put expectations on your spouse when they're sick as a dog? All you're looking out for is yourself. You're not even concerned about them. And what you're communicating them to them is this, is that you're, you're just a little bit better than a prostitute to me right now. Ouch. But if we don't say it, some of us might keep believing it. And some of us might keep doing it, right? I believe God wants you to have the best sex ever as often as you want to have it. Can I just tell you where I stand on the topic? Sex is a blessing in marriage, but it's a curse everywhere else. In the survey, when we asked singles, do you believe that premarital sex is sin? 45% said, yes, it's a sin, and I've made a commitment to, have, to not have sex until married. 49% said, I think it's a sin, but I am, I am sexually active, or I don't plan on waiting until I get married to have sex. 6% said, no, I don't even think it's sin. So 
So single folks, let me, let me speak to you for a second. I've, I've done some research and I haven't been single in a long time. So I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know what you're feeling, okay? I'm not going to pretend that I know what the struggle is for you because I don't. I don't. I'm happily married and <laughs> things are good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it's like, but I've done some research and I've read some responses that singles are not even just singles, but maybe even married couples who have, because of physical illness or early death, have become celibate. I've read some responses of those people and they seem to be frustrated. They seem to be uh, overwhelmed by this issue of sex, this issue of intimacy with another person. And, and, and my heart is filled with compassion for you, okay? It is. I, 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 don't, wanna, I don't wanna be there, okay? I, I pray that me and Cheryl, we depart the earth together and we walk up into heaven together because I don't know if anybody can make me laugh like she does or cook as good as she does. Come on, somebody. True story. Um, but you have to know the truth. Singles, if you want a Christ-centered relationship in the future, you need to live a Christ-centered life today. There's decisions you need to make today that will determine your future. Is this making sense? So you're going to have to make some, some Christ-centered decisions today so that you can enjoy a Christ-centered relationship in the future. And, and here's the truth is you don't build a life of righteousness in the future on a foundation of sin today. What you're sowing today is going to affect your future. I would say that to all the, the young adults or even teenagers in here today. Listen to me carefully. You need to focus on your relationship with Jesus. Nail that down because that's the thing that's going to be tested the most when you get married. And you need to have a, a Christ-centered life now as the foundation of your life. So when God joins you to another person, that you together, hopefully he or she has a Christ-centered foundation in their life. And, and side note, if you're questioning whether or not they do, they probably don't but you build today what you want to enjoy in the future come on listen to me it is worth waiting for oh my gosh any married person with a grain of salt of thinking would tell you that it is worth waiting for I told my kids I said the greatest gift you'll ever give your spouse is purity a pure, untainted relationship. It's one of the greatest gifts you'll ever give your spouse. I know it's difficult. I can't imagine the loneliness that comes with it, but we have to speak truth. We have to live according to truth. Amen? So number one, sex is good. Number two, sex is powerful. <laughs> I'd call it nuclear. <laughs> Sex is powerful. Think about this for a minute. It would be irresponsible of God to give us something so powerful and yet not teach us how to use it. Come on. It would be irresponsible of God. Okay. It, it feels like you don't agree that sex is powerful. Let's quick survey. Do y'all believe sex is powerful? Yes. Okay. 
What about you guys and girls? Yeah. Yeah, okay, you're not as vocal about it, but that's okay. It's powerful. It's powerful because God designed it that way. I'm not going to apologize for my sex drive. It ain't happening. I warned Cheryl, you better keep some tennis shoes on when you get 80, girl. <laughs> and when the kids move out, we move into a smaller house where you can't run as far. I'm going to put more obstacles in the way. Put an island here and an island over there. I'm going to box you in. <laughs> it's powerful. Why is it so powerful? Isn't that a good question? Why is sex so powerful? Why is the pornography industry banking $13 billion? Because it's powerful. What's driving men and women to do things that they shouldn't be doing? It's powerful. It was designed that way. It was designed that way to stay within the confines of marriage. I believe it's this powerful because the purpose of sex is created to, to, to bring us and give us this supernatural bond with one another. It is created, and I think it's so powerful because God wants us to be like magnets, like drawn to one another. Are you seeing this? Like it, that's why it's that powerful because God knew we needed to bond because there's an enemy trying to divide, right? So this bond that God's given us called sex drive is good and it's powerful, but it has a purpose. It's to bring us together. Seems to be nuclear, I'm telling you. Even nuclear radiation can be used for good or for bad, right? Yep. Yeah. Studies show that there's, there's a chemical that rushes across the brain to bring a rush inside of you during sex that is, that is related to or compared to the rush of taking heroin the first time. Meh! <laughs> I say Amen. but it can be twisted. So sex used in properly in marriage has the power to create a bond that makes your relationship unbreakable. I believe God gave us sex drive, but he never intended for sex to drive. Did you hear that? He gave us sex drive, but he never intended for that drive, that sex to drive us, right? So, so we can't afford to sit here today and think that, that for some reason Satan's just going to leave this one alone. He's not going to leave it alone in your marriage. He's not going to leave it alone with your children. It's time to pop your head up out the sand and wake the heck up because there's a world educating your children if you're not. There's a world trying to influence your children if you're not. You better believe it today. You better not take anything for granted. I'm not saying be suspicious. I'm saying be proactive and be methodical and be consistent. We don't have the sex talk. We talk about sex and we leave the line open. Amen?
1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, meaning set apart as a chosen vessel. You should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body. That means her too. In a way, in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. This is the problem with sexual sin. Sexual sin magnifies the desire, but it minimizes the destruction. It makes the desire so big that you don't even think about what this might cost you. Wow. What does it communicate to a, a wife who catches her husband looking at porn? You want to know what I've heard? I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not sexy enough. I'm not enough. Show got quiet up in this church. But we can't allow our desires to dictate our decisions. That, that verse says that each one of each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. What is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Self-control. You see, I'm responsible for my purity. Come on. I'm responsible. Cheryl is not responsible for my sexual purity. And I'm not responsible for hers. Amen? Amen? So I have to own my struggles. I have to own them. And I need to deal with them. And God tells us how to deal with them. But some of us have this idea that who does God think he is? <laughs> well, first off, he's God. <laughs> right? Who does he think he is telling me what to do with my body? This is my body. I'll do whatever I want to do with it. To which I would say, well, why do you go to Lowe's and buy a chainsaw and read the manual so you yourself, but you won't read your Bible and do what it says so that you won't kill yourself? Come on, you'll buy yourself an Instapot and you're so afraid that it's going to blow the house up, you'll read the instructions six times so that when you release the pressure valve, the kitchen don't go boom. Right? But you won't read your Bible to make your marriage better. You won't read your Bible to help you deal with the issues that are in your life and you won't agree with it because you don't like what it has to say. To which I would say, even if you don't like what it has to say, do it anyway. That's the only way you learn to like it. You're not going to just all of a sudden fall in love with obedience and one day say, oh, I'm obedient. <laughs> that don't happen. I've been waiting on that for 46 years. It hasn't happened. So I don't want you to believe the lie that you can do what you want and then still have what God wants. That's a lie. 
John Piper said this. He said, lust gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it, if I follow the lust. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. To which all of us knows it only leaves you emptier. Right? It only creates more problems. You may say things like, well, we're just texting. It was just one click one time. It was just one picture. You know, flirting is the gateway to adultery, right? Like, you don't just wake up and go, hmm, having an affair today. Be good. I think that's a good idea. No, it starts with flirting. You start flirting with sin until sin gets a big enough crack in the door of your life, and then it kicks it open and it comes in. And then here's, here's what nobody wants to tell you. What happens on the backside of that sin? Why don't we think about the backside of the sin? The doors open, the act has happened. Oh my God, what's going to happen now? Well, if you've committed adultery on your spouse, now your kids are going to feel it. Your wife or your husband's going to feel it. The people that you're in relationship are going to feel it. Your friends are going to feel it. Your coworkers are going to feel it. Your whole life is going to feel it. And then you'll likely spend too much time afterwards trying to outlive the guilt and the shame. And, and, and in doing so, you stay defeated. Now, if you've, if you've messed up and you've made that mistake, listen to me, Jesus' blood still applies today. There's no condemnation. But just because Jesus' blood still washes today is not an excuse to go do it again tomorrow. Come on. All right. This is what God knows. This is why the Bible is so strong when it comes to sexual sin. God knows that there's nothing that will destroy your life faster than sexual sin. Why does he know that? Because he created sex and he created it with power. And he gave us the responsibility to learn about it, but he gave us the teachings on it. Parents, he gives us the ability and the, 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 the resources to lead and teach our children in it to bless the next generation instead of curse the next generation. But if we don't do something about it, we get what we got, Right? We get what we got and we deal with stuff like what we're dealing with today. I don't know how you felt lately, but I'm like, Jesus, come on back. I had enough of this. I'm serious. But I don't think he's coming today. Probably not tomorrow. Maybe, I don't know. Who knows? But I can't run and hide Come on. I'm called to make a difference. You're called as a Christian to be an example to the world around you. You're called as a Christian to speak the truth in love to those people around you. Amen? 
Not to bury our heads in the sand and, oh, maybe one day when Trump gets back in office, he'll make the U.S. holy again. It was never holy. For four years with Trump, it wasn't holy. Trump ain't Jesus. Some of you need to resolve that in your heart. And believe it or not, Biden's not the devil. I didn't think I'd get an amen out of that one. But that's okay. He might be acting like the devil, but he ain't the devil. Let me get out of here. I'm getting myself in trouble. I feel like I'm backing in the corner. That went political. Number three. So number one, sex is good. Number two, sex is powerful. Number three, sex is glue. (laughs) It's glue. Sex is glue. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Watch what Paul says. Warning. Listen carefully, like extremely carefully right now, and take some notes right now, because I'm going to read to you what God says about sex. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 3. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Can I get an amen? And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Can I get an amen? The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. Hold up, pastor. What you just said? (laughs) The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Some of you men are finally taking notes. (laughs) I got me a weapon today. Oh, buddy. (laughs) You laughing. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. My wife is a clown. She's always cutting up. Always. That's what I love about her. She's got this big old sense of humor. And sometimes I go to make my moves. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And she'll start praying. And I'm like, I say, you know, girl, I've been with you a long time. You don't pray that long. I'm going to wait you out. Yep. I love you, Cheryl. (laughs) After you finish praying, (laughs) you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Watch this. I say this as a concession and not as a command. Let's unpack this for a minute. Notice first off that Paul is not pointing the finger at either the man or the woman. Right? He's not leaning hard on either one of them. Paul is speaking directly to the man and the woman equally. You got to get this. Because sometimes in Scripture, it seems like the Bible kind of bends towards the man a little bit as the leader of the household. And and if you're not careful, men can kind of feel, the Bible's always beating me up. We're going to beat my wife up. Suck it up, bro. It's going to be okay. But, But this one here, Paul is saying equally to the man and the woman that you should fulfill each other's sexual needs, sexual needs. Then he says this. The wife should give authority over her body to her husband. 
He didn't say the husband should take authority over his wife's body. He says it should be given. Which means this, that she can give it or not. Right? Oh yeah, you ladies are getting real excited about this. And the man, the same thing. He should give authority of his body over to his wife. Even though she may never come and take it. <laughs> he should give it anyway. <laughs> I've heard people take scripture and put their spouse in a headlock. And they've used some of these verses right here. Let me unpack that for a second. People have, have said that you should have sex often to keep the devil away. Have you, I mean, have you heard that? Okay, one of y'all have heard it? Wrong crowd. I've heard people say, well, we should have sex often. It keeps the devil away. And, and, and a lot of times it's guys using it as an excuse for their pornography addiction. They'll say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm watching porn because she won't, she won't be intimate with me. Hold up a second, bro. You're responsible for your purity. She's not. Although she should give authority over her body to you and you should give authority over your body to her, there's a bigger problem here that's worth addressing. Come on. And I've heard people say, do not deprive each other of sexual relations. As if to say, you have to. Oh. So you can act. Oh, I want to use the right word. You can, you can act like a jerk for three months and then grab your Bible for the first time in three months and come to me and say, the Bible says you shouldn't deprive me of sex. What? You can run the bars. You can go drinking at everybody's house. You can cut up and act like you're single and then come home and command me to give you sex because the Bible says we shouldn't deprive each other. You would be surprised how many times I've heard that. You'd be surprised how many times I've seen people use sex as a manipulating tool. Like if he don't act right, he don't get none. I've rarely heard it go the other way. <laughs> I wish I could tell you otherwise. It just, I ain't heard it many times. Is that what God intended it for? If it's so powerful and it's like glue, it's meant to bond us together. We have to stop for a second and ask the question, why is he or she withholding from me right now? Example, if I were to put my best moves on Cheryl and she would say, no, I need to take responsibility for our relationship and explore why. Am I in the right church? I need to explore why, but I don't want to know the why because she's going to say I did something wrong, more than likely. <laughs> That's a gimme, bro. I've been married for 23 years and walking with Jesus for longer than that. I'm usually the one that's wrong, but not always. It's worth exploring why. 
Why are you withholding from me right now? Is the question that needs to be asked. A better question is, is, have I done something to offend you? Have I done something to upset you or hurt you? Have I created some insecurity in our life together? Are there some things that you're not feeling real stable about right now? Because listen to me, they're married to you because they love you. They don't always like you, but they love you. And God designed us with sex drive. If there's something getting in the way of the magnets coming together, we need to find out what that is and address it as quickly as possible and shut the door on the enemy. The goal is not to just have sex. The goal is to be rebonded together, to close the door on the enemy and refuse to let him win. But instead, what most of us do is we draw sides. It shows up immediately when no's given. So ladies, just to let you know, when a guy hears no, he feels rejection. That's more than likely why he rolls over and points himself the other way on the very, 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 very edge of the bed, almost falling off. A lot of times that's why he'll get cold and distant. The one has the responsibility to ask what's in between us and the other one has the responsibility to communicate what's between us. So if you're giving a no, you need to give a no with a why. Y'all don't like that because it makes you talk. but God wants you to be united. You see, we're really in a predicament here. (laughs) It's almost as if God is forcing us to get along. It's almost like he's got us in a headlock or backed in a corner to make us really love each other in a genuine way. Because on the one hand, he says you can't commit sexual sin, so you need to stay pure, okay? But on the other end, he's telling us not to let anything come between us, but it does, right? So if we're not careful, we find ourselves going, what do I do? Here's the problem. You want to know why the porn industry makes $13 billion? It's because most people decide to go to an outside source instead of working on what's on the inside right here and now. That, my friends, is the problem. Our refusal to own our stuff, our refusal to talk about Our issues is what's causing us to go outside into sin. So I personally believe, this is my personal belief, that sex is so powerful because God wanted something to pull me and Cheryl together and that if we didn't come together, it would expose a problem that is worth addressing. So whatever's causing me to withhold is what needs to be addressed. I would encourage you to address it by first inviting Jesus into it. 
You know what happens when you invite Jesus into your issues? You tend to get humble. Yeah, he comes. He shows up. He loves a good invitation. That's why the Bible says he's standing at the door knocking. He wants to get in your bedroom. Don't take that the wrong way, but he wants to bring healing in that area. Amen? Amen. By the way, Paul goes and says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. Watch this. You don't have to. You get to. I get to give my self to Cheryl. She gets to give herself to me. We get to not withhold anything from each other. It's a concession. It's a right that we've been given to enjoy each other to the fullest. You don't have to. You get to. What a blessing. Amen? What a blessing. What a privilege. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus makes this statement. He says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So they are no longer two but one. So let no one split apart what God has joined together. First thing I want to show you is that I think a lot of times we believe that that one who would try to split us up is an outside source. Can I tell you more times than not, it's not an outside person trying to split us up. It's us splitting each other up. So when he says, let no one split it apart, he's talking to the married people. Whoa. Talking to the married people. You don't need to bring division into your own marriage. Hello, you got a full-time enemy for that. Let him do his job. You do yours. But when it uses the word joined to his wife, it's talking about three things. It's talking about being joined physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You getting it? So that means this. You need to spend some time in each other's presence. There needs to be some physical touch. Even if you don't have the quote-unquote love language of touch. That was my own personal point right there. (laughs) You need to spend time with each other. You need to be open and honest about how you feel and what you're believing. You need to connect emotionally. Guys, listen to me. I've never read a report of a guy who died by sharing his feelings. Anybody else have? Local man died, shared his feelings with his wife, poof, (laughs) fell over dead. Never read that in the paper. Never saw it on Facebook. (sighs) Connect with her, connect with him emotionally. Guys, listen to me. I've kind of learned the road to get there. It starts spiritually for me. Yeah, I got to get right with Jesus, humble myself, get my heart right, right? And then I got to connect with Cheryl emotionally. 
before we get to physically. Side note, the better job I do it spiritually, emotionally, <laughs> come on, ladies, I'm putting the ball on the tee. Dear goodness, give a brother an amen or something. I mean, like, if he'll connect with you emotionally, it's like, and then here comes the physical. To which we get the song, Let's Get Physical. Bad joke. Bad joke. Should have just kept that one in my head. <laughs> How do I get out of this? So we're joined together three ways, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You getting something so far? Okay. So let me wrap it up with this. We have to surrender our sexuality. Listen, listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.22. Run. <laughs> what did Paul say? Paul said run. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. What is that? Anything. <laughs> it's anything. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So what do we do when sin is crouching at the door? Look at me. Look at me. Everybody look at me. Sin is crouching at your door right now. If you're thinking that it's not crouching at your door, the enemy is crouching at your door right now. He's trying to slip you up. He's trying to tempt you. He's trying to get something in you. He's trying to get a hook in you, get you to believe a lie. He is at your door right now. What do you do? What do you do when you recognize that he is at the door? Run! <laughs> Forest, run. Number one, you run from sin. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. I'm telling you, when I read the scriptures, it, it, it takes sin and it pulls sexual sin out and it, and it singles it out and it says, this one right here is bad. Doesn't mean it can't be forgiven. Doesn't mean you can't get deliverance. Doesn't mean you can't be washed of all the unrighteousness, but it's a bad one. So when you find yourself comparing your spouse to another, run. Did you hear that? When you find yourself comparing your spouse to another, run. When you find yourself justifying your thoughts and your actions, run. And if you begin to fantasize about being with another person, Run! Run. Number two, run to Jesus. Now before you just push back against that statement because it sounds like a religious cliche, I want to make a little confession to you. I read some, some articles and did some research and I saw some responses and a, a lot of single folks or, or folks who have have been married and for some reasons can't be intimate, hate it when Christians say, well, just run to Jesus. And I could see where that could be taken wrong because if it's used wrong, and it has been used wrong. It's been used as kind of like a, just a quick fix. We'll just run to Jesus, baby. It's going to be okay. Hold up a second. Can we, can we unpack that a little bit? Like, what does it mean to run to Jesus? You follow me? But just because it doesn't land right doesn't mean that it ain't right. Come on. Just because you don't like what it says doesn't mean that it ain't good for you. 
<laughs> I've learned that most of the time when I don't like it, it's probably good for me. <laughs> so, so we need to run to Jesus. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God thought you, for God bought you with a high price. You, so you must honor God with your body. So sin is an abusive lover. What do you do if you have an abusive boyfriend? You get a bigger, badder boyfriend. Come on, somebody. Right? You get a bigger, badder boyfriend. Who's that? That's Jesus. I believe part of the problem is is we don't know our worth. We don't know what we're worth. And when you don't know what you're worth, you keep giving people discounts. So let's unpack running to Jesus. You want to know what it's like to run to Jesus? I want to help you with today because I like for things to be clear. You know what I'm saying? I hate religious cliches. You throw one at me, I might just throw it back. I hate them because they're empty-handed. It's kind of like telling people what not to look at and what not to say. There's no why behind it. What does it mean to run to Jesus? Running to Jesus means that you leave everything else behind and you create a moment with just you and Jesus. That means you shut your phone off, you throw the sucker in the other room, it's just you and Jesus. I got to have me some Jesus right now. And you position yourself in a moment with Jesus and you allot as much time as needed. In other words, it don't matter about your appointments. It don't matter about your schedule. Jesus has his own schedule, and he works in his own time, and he don't like to be cut short. You hearing me? So you devote some time with Jesus. You sit with him. You tell him how you feel. Watch this. Just how you feel it. Don't waste no time trying to clean it up. Trying to religiousize. I've got to put it in this box so I can present. Just give it to him. He's a big boy. He likes it raw. That's what he loved about David. David said, man, you, you caused somebody to roll over my head. You made me go through the flood. You made me go through the fire. You think Jesus was offended by that? Jesus already knew what he did. <laughs> I think he looks at us sometimes and goes, what are you doing with all your issues? Why you stop? I just bring it here. So you make time, you sit with him, you give him your stuff. Raw, the raw, the better. Give him your stuff and you sit. Stay. Don't move. Because he don't like to be thrown up on. Mmm. He likes for a chance to respond. Because here's the thing I know about Jesus. The minute I run to Jesus, he runs to me. And in, in, in all the years I've been following Jesus, he's never left me hanging. I've never created a moment with him and him not show up. I've walked away many times too early and I've been distracted too long, but I never sat in a moment and Jesus not show up. He shows up. What does he do? He listens. You know what most of us really want? We just want somebody to listen. And he listens with a heart of compassion, not with a heart of judgment. He listens with a heart of love. 
a heart of condemnation. He's not taking score by what you say so that he can turn around and hold it back against you. He's listening with a heart of compassion. Why? Because he loves you. And he listens. You know what else he does? He speaks. Some, sometimes he, he, he always encourages. Sometimes he corrects. But, but, but don't be afraid of the correction. Because even the correction, its foundation is love. Correction is love. The Bible says it all over the place. And he's going to be gentle. Don't worry about it. He's not going to embarrass you. He's going to be gentle. He's going to be gracious with you. But he's going to correct some things. Because some things might need to be corrected. Because you don't understand how much you're worth. You're giving away discounts. Selling yourself cheap. And you were bought with a high price. And you know what happens? When you sit there with Jesus... Come on, I'm trying to help you understand what it means to run to Jesus. I'm not going to throw a little cliche at you and say, good luck. I'm going to give you the goods. This is what I know. When you sit there long enough, you know what happens? Your worth starts to elevate. Oh, when you start to realize how much he loves you and you start to experience his love pouring over you, your worth starts to elevate and you start to come out of that pit of despair. You start to come out of that cheap trick thing you've been stuck in. You start to come out of those lies that you've been believing for too long and you start to realize I must be something. I must be something because I'm not nothing anymore. I must be something. People said I'm nothing, but Jesus says I'm something. You'll walk out of that room with your head up, with your worth up, and you'll change your life. You'll make drastic changes. You'll walk smooth away from sin. Tell it goodbye once and for all. We don't understand what this kind of love is. It's perfect. Perfect love. Why would you ever teach your kids to be sexually pure and to save themselves from marriage? Because you love them, right? You love them. You have that talk. You press through that awkward moment because you love them. What I'm afraid of is that the world that we live in is filled with a bunch of people who don't know what love is from anywhere. So they get it from whatever Hollywood says to get it. They get it from whatever media says to get it. And it's all empty. Because mom and dad didn't love you enough to invest in your life. You seeing it? Run from sin. So now when I say run to Jesus, <laughs> hopefully you know what I'm saying. I'm not just tossing you an old religious curveball. Like, run to Jesus. Because I can't water down that. I can't make that sound better to you than just to give you the whole truth about it. So if Pastor Jamie and Cheryl ever says, baby, you need to run to Jesus, that's what we mean. Number three, run with others. 
You ever wonder why some people are in your life? <laughs> Take that the right way. <laughs> it's funny you brought that up. <laughs> Run with others. <clears throat> David, the man after God's own heart, messed up. He messed up bad. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. That wasn't good enough. He went beyond that and had her husband killed. So David was an adulterer and a murderer, right? Yet the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. Does that kind of like pop a fuse in your head? It's like, Phew. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, watch what happens. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought into his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. God was not happy with David. Are you hearing me? It displeased him. That's, that's uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 26 and 27. 2 Samuel chapter 12, just a few more verses, verse 1, the Bible says the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, most of us, when we read our Bibles, we go from chapter 11 to chapter 12, and we think maybe that's the next day. It was actually two years. Two years after chapter 11 happened, God sends Nathan in chapter 12, verse 1. Two whole years. What was God doing? He was giving David an opportunity to repent. Question. You ever sin and then look for the lightning bolt? Like you do one of those, like you sin Lightning bolt. <laughs> or you make sure you sin inside of a building so the lightning bolt don't get you. Right? You, come on, seriously. Like, you ever sin like, ooh. And if, you, if God doesn't respond, like, right away, you kind of go, dang, I got away with one. And if you're not careful, you'll try to get away with it again. Right? So just because God didn't strike you down when you first sinned doesn't mean that he's accepting what you've done. It doesn't mean that he's pleased with what you've done. It just means this, that he's patient and his great love for you is worth waiting to you, for you to repent. He's waiting for you to turn. God's not in love with lightning bolts. Thank God. <laughs> right? I mean, some of you think, some of you see God like he's, he's up there with a bolt in his hand, like, any minute. No. It's not him. He's patient. He wanted David to repent on his own. You know why? Because there's a big difference between confessing sin and being exposed to sin. When you confess sin, it means that you're also guarding your heart. You're also tending your heart, and you're still in connection with God. When you're exposed to sin, that means that your heart has been become far from God. And it had to be exposed. So God is patient because he wants you to come back to him, let him deal with it, and then confession can happen. Amen? Amen. So verse, chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan. Notice 
He didn't send a lightning bolt. He sent a man. We got to learn to run with others. I heard an old timer say, son, you need to learn how to embarrass the sin in your life. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) What you mean by that? Like you need to tell somebody what your darkest secret is. You need to tell somebody what your darkest thoughts are. You need to tell somebody what you're struggling with. You don't need to be the only person that knows what you're struggling with. You need to tell somebody the lies you're believing. You don't need to believe them by yourself. You need others in your life. James said it this way in in chapter 5. He said, we need to confess our sin one to another so that we can pray for one another and be healed. Wow. Confess your sin to somebody else. That means if I got sin or when I have sin, I can go to Jeff and say, Jeff, I got some sin. And go, bro, me too. Okay. You want to confess? Yeah. Let's pray for one another to be healed. But watch this. I don't go to somebody I don't know. I'm just trying to be a little bit more Pacific and less Atlantic. Like, like you don't post your sin. You don't run to just anybody. You need to have some people in your life that got refrigerator rights. You know what that means? They can walk up into your life, push the door open, go to the refrigerator, crack it open, grab something, and eat it without even asking. You need people in your life that can show up, call you up, and say, hey, what's going on? How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. No, 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 no. You saved that for your other friends. This is me. You tell me how you're really doing. Because I've been praying. (laughs) See, that's when you really got a good friend. When they come, you go, I've been praying. And you go, oh, shoot. Why are you praying? I was good, just me and my stuff. Like, why are you praying? I told you to quit that. I don't like it when you pray. We don't need secret sins. We don't need secret struggles. God can deliver you from anything the minute you're willing to expose it. That's the God we serve. So let's pray. I want you to pray this prayer with me today. It's a prayer of sexual surrender. So pray with me. God, I don't know how to do this on my own. So I'm giving you my sexuality. I've done things, said things, experienced things that I know were outside of your will for me. Today, I'm asking you to take ownership. I want to live a life of value that is centered in your love for me and not my desire for temporary fulfillment. Reset my priorities to purity. Refocus my thoughts on faithfulness. 
Renew my mind with your identity for me. Rebuild my self-worth until I truly believe I'm your masterpiece. Restore my broken pieces and make me new. I give you permission to uproot my damages, areas of rejection, pain, hurt, shame, guilt, and bad examples that negatively shaped my perspective. I surrender my sexuality to you. I'm yours in Jesus' name. Now, Father, today I pray. I pray over every married couple here today. I pray, God, that we'll fight the good fight. That we'll fight to keep the air clear between us. I pray that God will enjoy the fullness of sex. And that God, when any kind of withholding comes, you would give us the courage and the boldness with the grace and the humility to address it. God, today I pray over these marriages that will learn to shut the door on the enemy and open the door to life and godliness. That God, we won't settle for just a little bit of darkness. We'll push it all back. And we'll push back against what the enemy has been trying to establish in our marriage, no matter how bad it is and no matter how small it may be. That we won't tolerate camp anymore. And God, I pray over those that are single today. God, you can identify with their pain. You can identify with their struggle. I pray for a grace that abounds like never before. Such a sweet grace to walk through this season of life. I pray it will be a season of growing season of bonding with you that God you'll be the lover of their soul before they ever try to give that to anybody else and God I pray that you give them the strength and the mercy to hold off for what you have help them to understand their worth value. I pray that over every one of us today. That God will get a real clear picture of how much you love us and how much we must be worth to you. God, I pray over the teenagers and the, and the, and the kids and the young adults that are here. God, their worth would be identified there would be a, a deep understanding of your great love. So much so that it would build their value and their worth so high that it would take somebody really, really special to get it. And that God, their goal would be to honor you with their life. To honor you with their sexual purity. that is sick and dark 
God, where there's freedom, there's brightness, there's light. You illuminate the things that you celebrate, and we thank you for that today. God, we bless you, we worship you. Thank you that you can deliver us from anything, that you can break any bondage or any stronghold. God, I thank you that you can restore anything, that you can bring dead things back to life. You can make dry bones rattle. We bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?